I've been reading through the book of Hebrews uh, as we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings. And when I was in chapter 9 studying, uh, this little word jumped out, hyssop, and uh, it was as the author of Hebrews was comparing uh, Moses and the whole sacrificial system uh, to Jesus. And he was saying, as we've been saying every Sunday, that, that Jesus is better, Jesus is enough that when we want to give up or go back, don't. Keep clinging to Jesus. And that little word hyssop, that's this hyssop plant, struck me because I'd remembered reading it uh, back in one of the Gospels. I couldn't remember which at the time. And, and so I went back and searched the Gospels at the crucifixion story where I knew I'd, I'd picked up on that little word hyssop. It's an unusual plant's name. And And I found it right there in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst, and a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to Jesus' mouth. He received the sour wine, and then he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit and died for us. What we'll see tonight is the sovereignty of God in a simple plant, and how the sovereignty of God in this simple plant that shows up all the way through the scriptures Uh, sheds new light on every minute of your life and every event in your life and gives new meaning to every nook and cranny, every minute, every detail of your life and my life. Look at sovereignty of God in a simple plan and how it gives new meaning to every moment and every detail. The hyssop plant Here's a plant, it kind of looks like lavender. It grows all through the Judean uh, countryside on the hills, and uh, it, it kind of uh, uh, comes forth as reeds, and, and on them are the kind of these uh, bushy tails of a sort, and, and if you've ever planted uh, a lavender or hyssop, well, it looks uh, just like this, and it, this is a hyssop plant, and, 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 and the hyssop plant comes up 12 times in the scriptures. Uh, the hyssop plant is only mentioned 12 times in the scriptures. 11 of those times has uh, specifically and exactly to do with sacrifice and cleansing and protecting in this substitutionary moment of death of one thing for life in another. The hyssop plant comes up 12 times, 11 of those, only one, it's something else. And you'll be thinking what that one is the whole time, so I'll tell you right now. Uh, Solomon, the wisest of all men, uh, Solomon the king, had uh, asked Jesus for, or God, uh, for wisdom, and, and God said, I'll give you wisdom. And, and so, of course, when Solomon became wise like a preacher, all he did was talk and talk and talk, and he was waxing eloquently one time about the hyssop plant and the cedar and the cassia and all these other plants in his wisdom. That's the one other time hyssop is mentioned other than these twelve. The sovereignty of God in a simple plant. The first time we see hyssop is back in the Exodus. This is Exodus 
chapter 12, verses 21 and following. Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 and following. Here's the scene. Uh, Moses is uh, with God's people, the Israelites, in Egypt. And uh, God has sent plague after plague on the Egyptians and the Pharaoh in order to uh, release God's people uh, into the promised land that they might uh, leave slavery uh, in Egypt and come to uh, their land to worship their God. Nine plagues have happened. You know, we got gnats and boils. Uh, the Nile has turned to blood. Uh, it has gotten wild in Egypt, and the tenth plague strikes. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 following. Then Moses called all the elders. They're preparing for that night of the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn son. Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin. And touch the lintel, that's the top bar of the door, and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you dead. Verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Hyssop, this little plant dipped in the blood of a lamb and dipped to paint blood on the doorposts. That the destroyer, God himself, the angel of death, would, would pass over and those who were covered in the blood that was painted by the hyssop would be protected. That was back in 1446 B.C., 1446 years before Christ. And then about 40 years later, as the Israelites are writing out their purification laws, of who might be clean and able to enter and worship God and who might be clean and able to enter the community and enjoy a relationship with one another, hyssop shows up again. In Leviticus chapter 14, verses 3 and following, in the sacrificial purity laws for cleansing. Leviticus 14, verses and following. Then, if the case of this leprous disease is healed, the uh, priest goes out to see if the one who had leprosy and now no longer has leprosy, if he's healed, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall be pronounced him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field, dripping blood as he flies away. 
slaughter a bird, uh, dip the hyssop uh, wrapped in scarlet yarn and cedar in the blood along with fresh water and paint this blood and this water on the one who was unclean and could not enter the presence of God and could not enter the presence of the community and let him be purified to come in again, to be cleansed and welcomed. The same process goes four more times as the house of a leper is talked about later in verses 48 and following. The priest comes and looks, and if the disease is not spread of leprosy into the house after it has been plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip them into the blood of the bird that was killed and in the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times and dip the hyssop into the blood and the water and sprinkle the house and declare it clean and say, you can enter into the presence of God, into the joy of community together again. Why? Because you're clean, you're purified. Eleazar, Aaron's son, the priest, goes through a similar movement with hyssop in Numbers chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. For purity again, he he slaughters a a, a female uh, cow outside of the city and offers it as a burnt offering and then throws hyssop in the fire that he might be clean because he has touched uh, the fat and the blood and the death of a dead animal. So that he himself, after a little bit of time, might enter into the city again and be cleansed and welcomed and accepted. There's a tent where this guy has died, and they say, if someone has died in this tent, you cannot go in. It's unholy. It's unclean. You can't enter it until what? You dip a hyssop like a paint branch with cedar and scarlet yarn in blood and water and sprinkle it on the tent and cover all the furnishings. Numbers chapter 19, verse 17 and 19. Hyssop in the Exodus to protect from death. Hyssop in the sacrificial system to bring cleansing and purification. But as you and I know, and they knew, the problem was much deeper than what blood on the outside of a person could cleanse. What is inside of us is the problem, and the next time hyssop shows up, it is to cleanse the conscience. To take a paintbrush deep into our souls and give us clean hearts. Psalm 51 is the next time hyssop shows up, and this is a psalm that David writes. And he writes it right after Nathan has come to him, the prophet, and, and Nathan has pointed, put, a, put a, a, a sore thumb right on David's sin because David has uh, taken Bathsheba, one who is not his wife, but was the wife of Uriah, and he has taken Bathsheba as his own and slept with her, and she's pregnant, and, and uh, taken Uriah and put him on the front lines of the battle, murdered him so that his sin would be covered up, and Nathan says, This cannot be. You are the man full of sin. And David knew it. We know it. And David cries out in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He, he weeps over his sin before his God, and then he cries out, purge me with hyssop. Verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. David cries out, I need a deep, clean paint inside of me with your hyssop branch, the blood and the water to purge, remove my sin. That I might not be destroyed, but protected, that I might not be cast out in my vileness, but purified and welcomed in. The next time Hyssop shows up some 971 years later. This is when we see Hyssop at the cross. Jesus has been put on trial, and over and over again the mantra is repeated, I find no guilt in him, I find no guilt in him, I find no guilt in him. He's been flogged, a crown of thorns has been smashed onto his head. He hangs naked on a tree as his garments are given away to those in front of him. The lashes on his back must have been rubbing on the wood as he uh, hung in pain, uh, trying to pull himself up from suffocation that he might still breathe. And in that moment, he cries out that the scriptures would be fulfilled, the sovereign plan of God seen in a little plant all the way back from 1446 to 971 to David to right now with Jesus on the cross. He says, I thirst and this hyssop branch is lifted up to him. Dipped into his mouth with sour wine. He hangs his head and he dies in our place. In verse 34, he is hanging limp and dead on the cross. And one of the soldiers pierces his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. Painting his people with his purity. Deep into our hearts. The sovereignty of God in a simple plant back here, he said, use this hyssop to protect you from the wrath of God. Use this hyssop in your sacrificial systems to remind you you are not clean before the holy God. Use this hyssop to cry out as your conscience moans over your sin, to cry out, purge me from my sin. And now this hyssop in the cross of Christ to pour out his blood and his water to purify us from our sins. The sovereignty of God in a simple plant. To remind us tonight that we have rebelled. 
against the sovereign king. We are not clean. We deserve his wrath. The hyssop branch was there at the cross. The sovereignty of God in a simple plan to remind us he is the one who saves through his son's death on that cross. When it looked like everything was spinning out of control, the sovereign God who would planned a little plant way back here and showed it up here and brought it to the cross was saying, I've got this. I am saving you now. I will sanctify you as you embrace the Son. We remember our rebellion. We remember He has saved us. And we are compelled to embrace Him. Because if God planned even this little plant, certainly He has sovereignly planned every minute and every detail of our lives, has he not? For his sovereign purpose is to save and sanctify and glorify his son. No moment is untouched by the God who is sovereign over all time and over every little detail. All the way to that moment when that hyssop's lifted to Jesus' mouth. If he is sovereign over all time and in every detail, we can look back at our lives and rejoice even over the the stuff we didn't want there because we can see how he used it to draw us to himself for our salvation we never would have come running to him had that detail not been there that hits up branch snapped in that place and and this fallen apart or this person shared that we never would have been saved Had the sovereign God not worked his purposes to rescue you and me. We would have run headlong away from him the rest of our lives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He chased us down. And we can live now uh, seeing how every little detail uh, we can embrace that we might be transformed into the likeness of his son. He's sovereign over it all. It changes the key question of our lives. When this or that shows up, this evil, this brokenness, this sickness, we did not want this thing that was not in your plan. It changes the question because we often ask, why, God, why? Why is this here? Why has this happened? It it shifts the question. We know why because the sovereign good God has allowed it. We know why. It changes the question to how. 
How will this draw me to his son in dependence? How will this lead me to salvation in Christ? How will this sanctify me into his purposes and likeness? How will this transform my life by his grace? And we all have a hyssop branch we don't want in our lives, don't we? You're probably saying, even in this? Even in this? My God is sovereign over all time, every moment, and in every detail for your salvation and your sanctification, for the glory of His Son. Even in this, I didn't want my one-year-old to be diagnosed with diabetes. Even in this, I didn't want to lose that friend of mine in that car wreck. Even in this, I didn't want to wrestle with this health issue my whole life, even in this. Paul begs God three times, take away my blindness, this this physical ailment. And the Lord says, no, I will glorify myself in it. And, And Paul lives out in this new humility where I am weak. He is strong and he's sanctified into the life of Christ. A blind man, Jesus walks with his disciples, and they're like, why is he blind? What sin did he do? He's like, he didn't commit any sin. He's blind that we might all see the glory of God, and Jesus heals him. Lazarus, who dies, and and his his, uh, uh, sisters are weeping, and, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and no one wanted it to happen, and he works his purposes in that moment. Job, Job's life. In COVID, maybe you lost something you did not want to lose. You saw something you did not want to see. There's sin or abuse in in your life. Your own sin maybe causing turmoil or someone else's sin causing turmoil. And you say, God, could you redeem even that for your purposes? Is it more comfort? Is it more hope? Is it more true? To say God is not sovereign all of, over all of that. Is that more comfort? Is there more hope in that? Is there more truth in that? Is, is there more comfort or, or hope or truth when evil or sickness or brokenness, and you say, well, man, I guess it won the day. I guess evil beat out God and his sovereign powers. Or evil and sickness and brokenness, it, it slips in, man, unlucky, man, I'm, oh, geez, we're all just governed by luck and unluck and Bummer that that happened, but God certainly has no part of that. Is that any more hope or, or comfort or truth in that? No. What is, what is comfort and truth and hope is that the sovereign God over all time and every details is redeeming all things for his purposes. He has anointed all things for the salvation of his people and the sanctification of his people. Even in this little plant we see it. Otherwise, there is no hope when we live in chaos and evil winds. We'll close with one of my favorite quotes. Alan Redpath says it this way. He's a pastor of Moody Bible Church and an evangelist. He says, there is nothing. No circumstance, no trouble, no testing, that can ever touch me until first of all it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me.
If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, no circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of who my Lord is. It is only a great comfort to us that God is fully sovereign over every minute and every detail because we see his sovereignty on the cross. And right there where Jesus is bleeding for you and for me, we can say, man, he loves me that much. Man, he loves me that much. That he would sacrifice his only son that he would protect me by his blood, that he would cleanse me by his blood. Man, he loves me that much. Tonight, let's reflect again on the death of our Savior. Where on the cross we see the sovereign plan of our God to save us, to sanctify us as he glorifies his son. From all time and in every detail, his desire and his plan was to rescue you through Christ. Christ.